the courts see it as artful pleading, right? They, they look at the uh, immunity that's provided and say, well, at root, what you are really upset about is that this site enabled you to communicate with someone who then went on to, um, you know, commit some illegal act. And uh, your recourse really is against the individual who, uh, who did that and not the intermediary who uh, facilitated the communication. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could join us today. I'm Craig Williams from a somewhat dreary Southern California I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court. I have a book out called How to Get Sued. Bob? And this is Bob Ambrogi from an always dreary, it seems, uh, Boston, Massachusetts, uh, where I write a blog called Law Sites and also a blog called Media Law. And uh, Craig, let's uh, take a moment to thank our sponsors, SunTrust, a company that offers private wealth management solutions for attorneys and law firms. You can find them at suntrust.com slash law. Also, Clio, the web-based practice management solution uh, available at goclio.com. And last but not least, firm manager from LexisNexis, uh, a leading provider of information and business solutions at myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. And I should add, I got the chance to see the folks from both Clio and Firm Manager at Tech Show last week and had some good conversations with both of them. And they're both doing some really interesting stuff. So check them out. Hey, well, thank you, Bob. On today's show, we're going to talk about those promises of fairy tale, happily ever after endings. But in reality, some relationships that start on internet dating sites finished with a less than happy ending for many people. A slew of lawsuits have been filed against a number of the nation's 1,500 dating websites. Match.com, in particular, has seen its fair share of litigation. Most recently, a woman who's uh, is suing Match.com and claims she was sexually assaulted by a man she met on the site. After the lawsuit was filed, Match.com announced that they are going to start cross-referencing members against the National Sex Offender Registry. Craig, some estimates say that uh, as many as 20 million Americans use Internet dating services to find romance. But when things don't work out or work out uh, uh, in a a significantly... uh, 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 bad way, I guess, as, as we can only say in this particular case of this lawsuit. Uh, who should be liable for that? Should the dating service be held accountable? To what to what extent? Uh, and, and for what uh, kinds of actions should it be held accountable? So we're going to talk about that today uh, with a couple of guests. Uh, first of all, I'd like to welcome to the program Mark Brooks. Mark is an authority on the business of internet dating. He is a principal consultant at the firm Cortland Brooks. Mark operates a boutique consultancy that exclusively serves internet dating and social networking companies. He's advised the CEOs of Friendster, FriendFinder, Cupid, WebDate, Plenty of Fish, True, among others. And he's worked in the online community space since 1998. Mark also guest writes for TechCrunch, manages the Speaker Agenda, a media relations for the Internet Dating and Social Networking Conferences. 
He's a president of the Internet Dating Executive Alliance and editor at Online Personals Watch and Social Networking Watch. Uh, joining us today from Malta, welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Mark Brooks. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. Hey, Bob, also joining us today is Brian Carver. Brian is an assistant professor at UC Berkeley's School of Information, where his primary research interest is in the laws and policies governing technology and information, particularly in understanding the technical, economic, social, and legal frameworks that best promote progress and access to information. Brian received his JD from the UC Berkeley School of Law, known as Bolt Hall here in California, and was previously in private practice focused on copyright, trade secret, and trademark litigation. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Brian. Thanks a lot. Well, Brian, let's let's start the show with you, and uh, let me ask you if you can give us a, a little bit of background on this uh, most recent lawsuit uh, filed by a California woman against Match.com in, in Los Angeles. Absolutely. Um, the uh, facts are developing quickly this week, in fact. Uh, it was originally filed as a Jane Doe uh, lawsuit, but now the uh, Jane Doe has chosen to come forward uh, and has, has been on some of the major morning talk shows. Um, uh, her name is uh, Ms. Markin. Uh, and uh, it apparently, the, as the uh, allegation, I haven't seen a copy of the complaint, but from the interviews uh, so far, it looks like uh, she was a user of Match.com, um, went on one date with a gentleman that she met there, uh, and apparently never got his full name. Um, she tells a story about being on a cell phone conversation with him where she did ask and uh, thought that the uh, cell phone call dropped out, and so she didn't get to hear his complete uh, last name. And she says she otherwise would have, you know, Googled him to find out uh, more about him. But uh, it was on a second date, apparently, uh, where uh, she alleges that uh, when they went back to her door, uh, he uh, immediately uh, made his way into her home uh, and, and first went into her bathroom she didn't think anything, you know, particularly was wrong apparently at that point and just sat uh, outside waiting. And when he came out of the bathroom, she alleges that uh, he sexually assaulted her. Um, so there is a, a criminal case uh, against him currently pending. Um, and then she filed this uh, lawsuit against Match.com just recently. Um, another thing that's happened this week is, uh, you know, perhaps independently or, you know, it certainly looks like in response to this litigation, Match.com has uh, announced that they do intend to do this uh, screening uh, of the National uh, Sex Offender uh, Database. Mark, just this week, Match.com has indicated it's going to be cross-referencing members against the National Sex Offender Registry in lieu of the, um, well, I don't think that they're going to get out of the Match.com lawsuit. But in any event, they issued a statement um, that said, we want to stress that while these checks may help in certain instances, they remain highly flawed, and it is critical that this effort does not provide a false sense of security to our members. Match.com is a fantastic service, having changed the lives of millions of people through the relationships and marriages it has given rise to, but people have to exercise common sense and prudence with people they have just met, whether through an online dating service or any other means. Well, based on your experience as a uh, consultant to this industry, uh, how do you react to Match.com's statement, and, and what do you, do you think they should have done anything differently, or do you think that people this is something that people just have to be aware of and understand the risks that are involved? I welcome the move. I think it's important to know the background here. The industry has actually been considering background checks for some considerable time at this point, and has come to the con same consensus that 
although it, these background checks are appealing, in some ways they are highly flawed. Um, records in some areas are quite out of date. And in the case of not just sex offender checks, but if you consider felony checks, a lot of felons, of course, get talked down uh, to misdemeanors, and that's a little bit more difficult to check. So several years ago, back in 2004, there was a company called Trudocon that launched uh, the concept of background checks in the internet dating sphere. And uh, I thought there would be at least one additional company that would jump on that bandwagon because it's rather appealing from the end user perspective. But it's taken this long for another major player to offer uh, the sex offender check. Well, you have to wonder, I, I, Brian, I wonder what your thoughts are on on this. Does, does a, a service such as Match.com perhaps uh, – expose itself to a different sort of liability by engaging in background checks? Is, is it then, you know, in effect, uh, perhaps warranting <laughs> in some way the background of, of, of the people who are using the service? It's an interesting question. Their um, arguments in the past have mainly focused around the question of whether doing these uh, screenings or criminal background checks uh, might do more harm than good, right? They often will point out that these registries can be over-inclusive. Uh, you know, uh, someone who does something like public urination, you know, when they can't find a, a restroom, might end up on a sex offender registry. Um, and, and, you know, minors who engage in consensual sex with other minors sometimes find themselves on the sex offender registry. But it can also be under-inclusive, as Mark just mentioned, uh, with uh, people who end up with misdemeanor uh, uh, or only state-based uh Claims apparently the uh, uh, alleged attacker in this case uh, wouldn't be found on a national registry, and you would have had to have searched the LA County uh, database to to come up with anything uh, about him. So there's been an argument from the industry that this could give people a false sense of security, um, and uh, you know, and it, it might turn people also away uh, from individuals who have something in their background that has this perfectly legitimate explanation um, but shows up in some way uh, on one of these uh, databases. So there's there's something of a, a heightened threat of inaccurate information about you haunting you for the rest of your life, ruining your dating prospects, et cetera. There would be an unfortunate side effect of this move uh, for those affected. So you, you could get um, uh, concern out of the people who you know are trying to fight bad information about themselves potentially here. How do those people deal with the situation that they find themselves in. Let's just say that there is someone who is arrested for public urination and, and listed on a sex offender website. Is Do the online dating services have some type of means to be able to explain away those situations, to be able to get listed on the on the website, or are those people going to be forever barred? Well, it's really up to the user. I mean, uh, it's really up to the user's open-mindedness, I guess, if they want to forgive once they know the details, once it's been explained to them. But most people will just eliminate that uh, particular person from their from their search. Um, so, you know, there's a saying that goes, when a man is interested in a woman, he needs to he needs to communicate two things. Number one, he needs to communicate that he's interested. And dating sites have done a pretty good job with that. They allow men to indicate interest, and there's no problem there. But where dating has really fallen short is with the second point. When a man is interested in a woman, he also needs to indicate that he is safe. And that's been a difficult issue, a difficult 
difficult area for dating sites to, to assist end users with. Um, social networks do this far better because you can judge people by the company that they keep. And because social networks are entirely public, you can actually groom through a person's contacts and, and connections and see if you really feel like that person uh, is safe. Um, but dating sites, given their privacy, which is the, the main distinction between a social network and a dating service, is that, that element of complete privacy and control over dissemination of contact information and name and address, and etc. Um, that's the real differentiator between a social network and a dating service. So, uh, it's been more difficult for 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 dating sites to give users an indication of the safety of the person they're about to connect with. Well, so what kind of legs does does this lawsuit have? What what is the responsibility of a Match. dot com uh, in the eyes of the law to, to the people who who use it uh, to to find uh, mates? Yeah, I, I mean, I wanted to say uh, out that at the outset that you know sexual violence against women is a serious problem and so if miss markin's allegations are true here then she certainly has my deepest sympathy but when we analyze the legal issues presented here uh, i mean i would do it in a somewhat detached and objective way um, so i don't want to give the impression that i don't think this is a serious problem or that we shouldn't be concerned about the issue but we're also dealing with a, a, a case where the facts are rapidly developing right the i'm a firm believer that the accused is innocent until proven guilt, guilty right and here we've, we have heard some facts that this person was previously convicted of some misdemeanor sex offenses. But, you know, even such a person deserves a fair trial and, and we don't have a verdict yet in the, in this criminal matter. So when you think about the civil liability of Match.com, I think it's important to detach ourselves a little bit from the specific facts of these allegations, since we don't really know uh, them yet, and, and think about them uh, at a more general level. And when you do that, uh, and just ask the question, you know, does Match.com have a legal duty to engage in this sort of screening or a criminal background check, um, I think the answer is pretty clearly no. Um, there's a couple precedents that would be um, most relevant, um, uh, particularly ones that have involved uh, the social networking site MySpace. Um, there's uh, one case that uh, was decided by the Fifth Circuit um, uh, coming out of the uh, district courts in Texas, and it was a Doe versus MySpace uh, case decided in 2008. Um, and uh, in that case, uh, there was uh, a minor who was sexually assaulted by someone that they met on MySpace, and the court ultimately holds that uh, MySpace is not responsible for uh, the claims of negligence and, and similar claims uh, that the plaintiffs brought uh, based on uh, Section 230 immunity. This is part of the Communications Decency Act um, that provides a, a, an immunity from suit for Internet intermediaries uh, so that they are not treated as the publisher or speaker of the uh, information provided by their users. Um, and the court thought that sort of at root, um, what the plaintiffs here were trying to do really was hold MySpace responsible for the communications of the users uh, on its site. And um, Section 230 immunity has been interpreted very broadly uh, as it was in that case. But perhaps even more on point is there's a California case with nearly identical facts, sadly, um, that also involved MySpace. Uh, uh, it was decided by the California Court of Appeal in 2009. Um, and so in, in this particular case, uh, the, the Superior Court in L.A. would be bound by that uh, Court of Appeal decision. And uh, I think Match.com had a pretty easy win at the trial court level here if it were to be pursued. Um, but, of course, if 
Miss Markin decided to pursue it on appeal, you know, um, maybe they get a different result. Maybe this will ultimately be addressed by the California Supreme Court, but it would be several years down the road. And, and right now, the uh, precedents are stacked against her. Well, let's take a let's take a little trip down this slippery slope. Uh, what what type of uh, liability do you think that dating websites are going to have for uh, con men? I mean, the classic type of a situation is where we get con man or a con woman who engages with someone who is very wealthy and then steals their money as a consequence. And, you know, they've met on, uh, on match.com or another dating website or take the situation of those old jilted lover property cases that we studied in the first year of law school, where, you know, all the uh, marriage style torts come into play. Any chance those are going to be resurrected? Brian, Mark, what do you think about that? Uh, well, plaintiffs have proved extreme, extremely creative, right, in trying to evade this this Section 230 immunity. Um, it's because the courts have interpreted it so broadly to uh, dismiss lawsuits very early in their uh, history. Um, you've you've seen plaintiffs come up with various causes of action that, and they try to distance themselves from alleging that they're upset about anything that was, you know, communicated on the website, right? That it's not uh, MySpace in many of these cases or Match.com's role as a publisher uh, or, you know, provider of information that they're upset about. Instead, it's somehow, um, you know, some other aspect of, of uh, the site's uh, responsibilities that the plaintiff wants to pursue. And uh, generally, uh, the, the court's see it as artful pleading, right? They they look at the uh, immunity that's provided and say, well, at root, what you are really upset about is that this site enabled you to communicate with someone who then went on to, um, you know, commit some illegal act. And uh, your recourse really is against the individual who uh, who did that and not the intermediary who uh, facilitated the communication. So I, I think we certainly will see plaintiffs try <laughs> all these different uh, theories that you mentioned, but uh, so far, there's been some very clever plaintiff's lawyers who have tried various things, and, and none of them uh, seem to be working out. Well, I, I could see some potential that you might get uh, some traction in that area because you have, say, for example, if a lawyer makes a recommendation, sometimes that lawyer can be held responsible for making a recommendation to another attorney, to a client. So do you think there could be any extension of that doctrine? Yeah, there, I guess the, the hook that you could also hang on um, is... Uh, if the site is responsible in whole or in part for the creation of the content, um, then that's something that takes them outside of the immunity. And there was a Ninth Circuit case uh, involving roommates.com uh, where the court decided that because uh, roommates required people to check off certain boxes about their uh, preferences in roommates, some of those preferences indicating uh, discriminatory preferences that would be uh, illegal under the Fair Housing Act. <laughs> um, uh, the court saw roommates.com as, you know, partially responsible for the creation of the illegal content um, by by forcing users to make certain discriminatory choices. Um, now, there was also on roommates.com's uh, registration pages a, a free text area where you could just write anything you wanted to about uh, the kind of roommate you were looking for. And the court thought roommate was not responsible for any of the uh, Ill illegal uh, and discriminatory things that users said in that area because they didn't see roommates as responsible in whole or in part for the creation of that sort of free response type material. So there is an analog to dating sites, right? It, it, if, 
if the site is doing something uh, to uh, that could be just, you know characterized anyway as uh, partially creating the content that is at issue, um, then there there might be right, a possibility of holding them responsible for that. One of the concerns you have though is uh, dating sites do something things like uh, give you search results based on how much of a match someone is to your interests or, or preferences for a, uh, a mate, right? And uh, to the extent they're really just ranking search results or something like that, um, it starts to sound dangerously like a, a theory that would hold Google liable as well, right? And so I think <laughs> um, most courts want to find a way to uh, uh, interpret the law so that it doesn't make search engines illegal, <laughs> for instance, right? We, um, we ought to be able to give... Uh, useful and accurate search results without being held responsible for the illegal conduct of people a couple steps removed from that process. Those are good points. We're going to uh, take a short break. We're going to pick up uh, in just a few more minutes with more from Mark Brooks and Brian Carver. So stay with us. Has the recent economic climate affected the financial goals of your firm? Get back on track with help from SunTrust. Our private wealth management legal specialty group works solely with lawyers and their firms to deliver unique solutions designed for the legal community. SunTrust advisors give you sound guidance on everything from maximizing cash flow and waiting through benefits planning to understanding how to retain attorneys and staff. Learn more at www.suntrust.com legal. SunTrust. Live solid. Bank solid. SunTrust Bank. Member FDIC. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack takes a look at the process of moving to the cloud. Now, how long does it take to move to the cloud, and is it a difficult process? No, I, with most cloud computing providers, moving uh, your data into the cloud is something that takes just minutes, not hours or days to do. You can get signed up and running with most services in just a few minutes. And uh, even if you have an existing, uh, a legacy set of data that you want to migrate to a, pro- a web-based practice management system like Clio, there's migration tools and migration services that we're able to offer to ease that process. So most firms can be up and running to the cloud in, less than, in the cloud in less than five minutes and can have their data imported uh, in a matter of hours or days. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you, and if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. Thanks for tuning into our program today. We want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager, is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS 70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge, or to learn more, Visit www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. Someone's at the door. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, I need to do that too. 
Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. Perfect. I'll do that right now. Uh, welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrosi. We're joined by Mark Brooks, a principal consultant at Cortland Brooks and president of the Internet Dating Executive Alliance, and Brian Carver, assistant professor at UC Berkeley's School of Information. Uh, our topic is litigation against online dating services. And I want to get back to our discussion Brian and Mark, one of the one of the questions that we wanted to ask is to find out whether or not there are any statutes or regulations covering these websites and and recognizing that they're available around the world. How do different countries regulate these things? I guess uh, I'm not sure that I have a, a a response on the international front. Maybe Mark can provide that. Um, but I guess a couple other issues that I think this raises that I think would be fruitful for you guys to talk about is there's some questions about whether implementing these kinds of screens or, or criminal background checks are even sort of practically possible for online dating sites to implement. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier that uh, scanning against the National Sex Offender Registry wouldn't have even uh, caught the, uh, you know, alleged attacker in this Match.com case that's come up recently. Um, so if you're going to do a full check that's really effective, are you going to have to check every county database in the country or, you know, and what would that cost and who should pay it? Um, I heard the uh, plaintiff in this case on a radio program yesterday in which she claimed that these background checks, checks would only cost $5. Um, well, I went online and compared nine different background check services and they ranged in price from $15 to $50. And if you want to start including state criminal record searches and other sorts of advanced searches, then it can cost up to $200 a person checked, right? So you start wondering if, this should be an optional service that some users could pay for, or maybe you pay on a per-person basis once you find three or four people that you're interested in meeting. Um, should the uh, should the men have to pay for this uh, to you know prove their worthiness? Or, or should uh, or should every online dating site you know do this? Is this a uh, opportunity for sites to distinguish themselves and, and provide them with a competitive advantage? Um, something I think maybe Mark would be in a good position to weigh in on, but. Um, it's uh, it's a, a little more complicated than uh, it, at least the plaintiff in this case wanted to present. You know that this is a simple five dollar check that would have solved all the problems. Um, it, yeah. it, well, it, why don't we why don't we hear from Mark on that and get his thoughts on uh, on some of the perhaps some of the international uh, aspects of this issue? Well, it's the same problem around the globe from a, the perspective of the end user. I mean, people come to dating services because they are looking ultimately for a partner, and ideally, they'd like to have recommendations. So, I should I should distinguish between the different. Broadly speaking, there are two kinds of dating services. One is internet dating, which is classified essentially a development from the old days of classifieds and personals and newspapers. But then we have this emerging brand, the type of um, Dating service called Internet Matchmaking, and the matchmakers, uh, the Internet matchmakers, have essentially bottled what the traditional Yenter can matchmaker does. Uh, matchmakers in uh, in real life around the USA charge about five thousand dollars a year for their services, um, but the likes of eHarmony and Chemistry.com and PerfectMatch.com have bottled these services essentially and put them online and put them behind a layer of science. So you have this distinction between dating services which are 
allow you to search. And then the internet matchmaking services, which are predominantly driven by recommendations based on whether it be a sociological, anthropological, or uh, psychological personality profile, um, science, uh, the matches are made for you. And so I imagine legally there's some distinction given the types of internet dating, dating service that we're talking about. In the case of Match.com, they're classifieds. Um, they do make recommendations. They have a, something called Daily Five, where they push out recommendations on a daily basis and give you give the top five recommendations based on criteria that you've entered in the past. Um, so I, I guess that's where it gets into hairy ground legally. Um, in terms of the checks, the quality and the cost of the checks, this is a, a problem for the industry. In the past, the industry's looked at the at the cost, and back in two thousand four, um, for a large number of tests uh, per year, for hundreds of thousands of tests, you'd be looking on the order of three dollars to four dollars per test per check um, for background check, felony check, essentially, and sex offender check. And those, from my understanding, are the two most established databases across the country. Um, those records are um, uh, are checkable uh, through services like backgroundchecks.com and uh, Truefina. Um, there's another service called Verified Person. There are a few services in development uh, to help the dating industry um, quickly pull and reference from the felony database, the national felony database, and the sex offender databases. But as as we've heard, these services are flawed because they're infrequently updated, and in some cases, they're not entirely accurate from my understanding. Um, if you're trying to match somebody, the ideal criteria to have is a social security number. And that isn't something a dating service is going to ask from its users. So, we're looking at uh, name and address, and not much else to match people on. So there are. Um, it, it, this is far less than a hundred percent, but the tests are typically less than three dollars. We've we've reached the end of, near the end of our program, so it's time to wrap up and get your final thoughts as well as your um, contact information for our listeners. And Brian, we'd like to start with you. One of the things that I'd like you to address in your closing is what potential do you think disclaimers have to uh, remedy this situation? You know, the website puts up a thing that says, we're not responsible for who you're dating. And here are some background check places you can use to see if you can find out anything more about them than we know. Yeah, I, I think um, the, the law as it stands already protects these uh, online sites uh, fairly extensively, but certainly um, voluntary uh, acts that the sites can take really like what Match.com is doing this week. And, um, what Craigslist did similarly a couple months ago when they decided to uh, get rid of their adult personals um, under pressure from all the state attorneys general. Um, the, their Craigslist legal position was probably solid, but rather than continue fighting it, it looks like they made a voluntary choice to shut down the service. And, and I think that's what uh, we're seeing a similar thing from Match.com here. Even though they may have great legal arguments, uh, Either for PR reasons or for competitive reasons, or because they think it's the right thing to do, uh, that they you know now have greater faith in in the accuracy of these systems or or the ways in which they can implement them, uh, that they're trying to uh, make their sites safer. Uh, it's, there certainly is a real problem. There's no doubt about that. Um, there's too many reports of these kinds of attacks occurring, and so some sort of educational efforts for people uh, to to take sensible types of precautions before they meet someone they don't know. Um, are, are certainly part of the answer, I think, and uh, I, I think we're going to 
see sites uh, do all sorts of voluntary things uh, outside of what they may be required to do under the law. Let me just give you my contact info. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at, at BrianWC, um, and you can find all sorts of contact info for me at the uh, School of Information's website, which is iSchool.Berkeley.edu. And Mark, we'd like to get your final thoughts and your contact information as well. And perhaps one of the things you can address in your uh, closing as well is the uh, the kind of edgy websites that are out there, uh, Holly Madison and, and some of those other ones that will uh, let you find just a sexual connection for a night when you're in another city. I've heard about some of those. All right. Um, there are a few different branches of internet dating to bear in mind. Uh, adult dating, if we look at the run the full gamut, we have Match.com, which squarely sits in the middle of the industry. Um, on the far right, we have the likes of Adult Friend Finder, which is uh, anything goes, any picture goes. There are lots of risque photographs. And uh, on the far left, you have the eHarmony and chemistry and perfect matches of the industry, which are focused on long-term relationships and take a more conservative uh, position in the market. Actually, in India, we have the likes of matrimonial services like Bharat Matrimony and Shadi, which is even further to the left. They are they exist solely to help people get married. So the industry has considered background checks for some years. Um, they've been too costly and too not really accurate and, and up to date enough for the industry to uh, tout. Um, but at this stage, they are better than nothing. People have, are getting a better idea of what. Uh, they stand for, and ultimately, it's better than nothing. And it is an advance over the real world. And dating sites wish and, and endeavor to improve upon the real world. They've made search and communication area easier for users, and recommending new, new, you know, partners. That's the next, the matchmaking area of internet dating is the is the uh, most important uh, area of development for the dating industry. And this is where we're getting into. Uh, grounds for concern for the industry. Um, if they're recommending people, then are they recommending somebody who is a felon, who's somebody who's a sex offender? Um, I think it's up to the industry to really volunteer to use the services that are available for the good of their end users. Great. And your contact information? I can be reached at uh, my contact information is all at pingmark.com. And my blog is onlinepersonalswatch.com for anybody who'd like to follow the news. Great. Well, thank you both very much for being on today's show. It's been a really interesting discussion and certainly kind of a thorny problem to try and sort through. And, uh, you know, Bob, do you want to uh, give any uh, advice to the Lovelorn online? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I have no advice. I, I I think I've been married since before there was an internet, so I I haven't I haven't experienced this this issue. But uh, but it was a very good program, and I really appreciate both uh, Mark and Brian taking the time to be with us and share their their insights on this. It was a really fascinating discussion. So thanks a lot to both of you. Thank you. Well, Bob, remember for our listeners, uh, you, they can get all of our CLE credit through West Legal Ed Center for listening to select Legal Talk Network podcasts. And go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and click on the West Legal Ed Center. You can also find all Legal Talk Network shows on iTunes. That's assuming you can spell iTunes and say CLE. If you can do both of those, you're you're in luck and you'll be able to find <laughs> all of our programs there. Uh, thanks a lot to both of you and, and Craig. Uh, we'll be back again next week. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network. 
its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.